Hello, welcome, mate. I suppose I kick things off, mate. I was reading a quote today that in order to have happiness, you needed something to do, something to love, and something to look forward to. Now, mate, with the way things have been going with coronavirus the last, uh, I suppose, few months, what we know and love is sport, and that has been taken away from a lot of people. What are you missing most about the games you love? Well, was one of those, uh, part of that quote, something to look forward to? Did I not mention that? Well, I think all our listeners are going to be looking forward Whoa. to our podcast. <laughs> this is the first one. So, you know, we've been uh, pretty much in lockdown for way too long. Um, I don't know, best part of probably six weeks without sport. Yep. I can tell you, I am really looking forward to nearly oh. counting down the sleeps until we see some sport. And oh, mate, I'm chomping at a bit. The biggest, you know, the funny thing is, if someone had asked me this prior to coronavirus, which sporting event I really want to go to, I'd say something like the Super Bowl or something in America. Has it you changed? Know I mean? It's changed. I just want to go down to the local field. I want to watch the Lennox Trojans play on a Saturday afternoon, have a beer with my kids, watch them run around. And then on Sunday go down and watch Ballina play in rugby league. It's just simple things. I miss that. I miss that sort of, you know what I mean, level of sport. That's not going to be on for a long time because you can't imagine restrictions getting lifted. But in terms of um, professional sport on the big stage, you'd have to think rugby league has got to be the closest of all the sports to getting back. Yeah, well, if you, if you do the, the quick round the grounds, um, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It would appear that German Premier League, soccer, they're back at training. EPL are in discussions to return. PGA Tour, golf. Now, I would say, obviously, most of these sports are going to be without crowds, but at least they're going to get back on the TV. Employment is going to flow from that, mm. so that's going to be great, and we're going to have more stuff to watch. I mean, here domestically, rugby and AFL aren't making noises about possible return dates. They've still got, you know, rugby's got a lot to work out on that front. Um, AFL secured a loan last week, 600 mil um, with NAB. I think, you know... The sport that's forging ahead here domestically and really having a crack at trying to get back on our, our TVs is the NRL, obviously, no doubt, um, led by uh, by Peter Volandis. He's got, you know, he's got runs on the board. I mean, have a look at what he's done with racing. Unless you're an avid racing supporter, you probably really aren't aware of what he's done. But he's in, in New, I mean, he oversees uh, racing New South Wales. I mean, he's divided the state into 10 zones for jockeys. Um, it's pretty much gone untouched. TAB takings are up 40%. Well, people are crying for something, mate. And um, yeah. if you love a punt and you're used to betting on sport, well, I'm guessing you're going to be having a punt on the racing. Well, obviously, people are sitting at home with Channel 7 racing on, on Saturday Arvos and having a punt if their takings are up that much. So yeah, You get down to the nitty-gritty of that. Mate, he's followed a hell of a lot of precautions in order to keep that going. Mate, you're all over that. I suppose, yeah, what, look, what are it, the ins and outs of how they've been able to keep that running in the background? I think the biggest thing is it's, it's quite obvious that he hasn't given up. I think maybe a few sports have probably just gone too hard. Um, he's obviously, you know, with him being elected to being the commissioner in charge or the chairman of the commission, you know, he's, I've heard him say a few times, you know, my role is to, you know, is to foster the game. So he's doing his darndest to get the game back to, you know, back to being on the field and being able to, you know, to, I suppose, fulfil the rights and obligations that come with that with sponsors and, you know, big TV deal and all the rest of it. And, you know, we've had all these discussions or we've heard all these discussions with numerous sports and players associations and, you know, there's no doubt there's more hurdles for the RLPA to get over to agree to um, the May 28 return date. Um, I think this week is obviously a big week um, for the NRL. You know, there's uh, meetings with Channel 9, Foxtel apparently um, going on today. Channel 7 have bobbed up this morning apparently expressing some sort of uh, interest in um, the free-to-air rights um, if, if they're null and void. Doesn't rugby league love like a crisis or a time when you need to almost 
bandy together. Like, they thrive in these sort of situations. Vlandis has just got out in front of it all. He hasn't cared. There's been plenty of people who've thrown mud. But he stood up there, took it on the chin and goes, you know what, we want to get this thing back up and running. And I think, obviously, the players are going to have... Obviously, there's a few sacrifices that have got to go in terms of leaving their families and stuff like that because we anticipate that it's going to be held in Sydney because of all the stuff that's going on in Queensland currently. Well, we not only anticipate, that's going to happen because yeah. of your lunatic Premier up there that doesn't want anyone <laughs> across the border. Queenslanders can go wherever they want, but anyone but they're, that wants they're... to go north, forget it. Our guest on the show today is... Um, well, we'll give him a buzz up now, but James the Goods Woods. Let's get him on. Woody, how Welcome. are you, mate? How you going, lads? How are we? It's good to be here. It's a pleasure, boys. Thanks for having me. So for our listeners, Woody, I think it's best if you give us, uh, give us a bit of a rundown on uh, your Wikipedia page. I live in Lennox Head, close to you guys. Sport's tragic. Spoken many hours of all different topics of sport with you, Steve, on the rocks at Lennox while coaching the kids. That's one of my jobs, doing some coaching with... Um, a lot of the junior surfers from the area and a uh, little bit of shaping on the side as well and, yeah, a bit of a washed-up surf career from back in the day. Now, Woody, you've just had a young fella, Rexy. How is the restrictions going with coronavirus? A newborn baby in an apartment downtown Lennox Head. What's going on? Mate, it can get tough at times for sure. We, uh, we're really lucky you can still go to the beach and you can still take a walk down to the lake. So without those two things, um, yeah, we'd be... Me and my wife and I would be drinking probably a fair bit more. <laughs> so if we dial it back, Woody, just for our listeners, um, two-time world junior champion, where, where were those junior championships? Uh, the 16s was in Sydney at Narrabeen. Um, that was in 2002. And then the 18s was in Tahiti, and that was in 2004. At Chopes? No, at a, on the other side of the island at a place called uh, Papiati. Right, it's all, so it's all beach breaks and, and like um, sort of reefy beach breaks. So sixteens, who'd you? Who was in the final? It was Wade. Uh, Wade Goodall was in the final. Um, Jay Davies was in the final. Can't remember the other the other guy's name. South African. Francois Pina. Okay, so yeah. in the in the eighteen in the eighteens final, who was there? Uh, in the eighteens, it was me, Ben Dunn. Um, Didn't he Jeff- ride bulls? <laughs> yeah. Mate, he was a world bull riding champion. Nah. He probably should have. He's got the personality. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Uh, he and uh, Jeremy Johnson from America and uh, I think it was Tanner Gadaskis. Woody, these are world titles and you can't remember. I can't even time. remember, yeah. So I, can you remember your scores? Nah, I have no idea. I think I had – I think I, it was really close in the 18s. Uh, I was in the lead. Jeremy Johnson came second. Um, but he got an interference. Ben Dunn. Sort of got in the way of him and, and got a wave at the end, blocked him, and got a and got a good score. So, uh, yeah, I was pretty lucky in the I was pretty lucky in the eighteens. I remember that it was really close. So eighteens onto the QS. Uh, we still had a few years in the pro junior. They hadn't changed it yet. It was still under twenty one. So I had a few years on that, finishing the top ten. So good pro junior series then, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really good. It was like eight eight or nine events and good to- money and totally domestic. Yeah, it was all domestic. There was probably. Three, I think there's three events in Queensland, three events in New South Wales and three events in Victoria, something like that. So Woody, as an outsider looking in, someone who grew up playing footy and everything like that, something that's fascinated me about surfing is the fact that guys are sponsored on crazy money at a young age. Basically, surfing is one of the few sports that I can foresee that actually mm. rewards potential over actually production. 
what what was your experience going through the pro junior series and and obviously your relationship with Billabong? I was lucky. I was kind of at the start and and sort of through the middle of the really sort of profitable time. That was when those major brands were really popular. So there was heaps of money. So they had a big they had big teams. They had film filmers in the teams. They had different team managers for different age groups and, and levels. So, so big marketing budget. Yeah, it was so much money then. And I was lucky with Billabong for the for the years I was with them to just get taken around the world and I got I, I was in a pretty good on a pretty good wicket with those guys for about four years. So it was the Super League of Surfing. Pretty much, for sure. Like from two, I was I rode for them from two thousand three to two thousand seven. And yeah, it was epic. So in those years, Woody, with uh, you know pretty significant marketing budgets, any like ridiculous trips? We had a few. We had one really good trip into uh, Indo where they had uh, a boat, like one of the best boats in the Mentowies, which is like an island island chain where they do like surf trips through the middle of the year, through July and, and June. They had the boat for a couple of weeks for a certain amount, a certain crew, and then we were on the second trip, and it was like me and Wade and and Jordy and Laurie. Parko and um, Sterling Spencer, an Ameri- uh, one of the top-rated American kids at the time and a top-rated Japanese kid. And we got two weeks on this like amazing yacht, like the best one there. I think it was like about 500 bucks per person a night. We didn't really get great waves, but you just stuff like that, you know, they just no expense spared. So that Japanese kid, you can't remember, so he obviously... Yeah, he, nah, his name is... Uh, I actually can't remember his name. <laughs> 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 oh, and he was actually a really good. He was a, he's a really good surfer. He still surfs for Billabong, I think, in Japan. He does the JPSA, which is their their league, and he's um he's still a great surfer. Hideyoshi Tanaka was his name. Hideyoshi Tanaka. Sorry, mate, if you're listening out there. <laughs> it's over, over in Tokyo. So first trip uh, was that the first introduction to Geordie? Uh, no, nah, no, nah, I'd known Geordie since I was really, really, really young. Yeah, he was always doing the events uh, before I rode for Billabong when we were 15, 14. He's two years younger than me, but he'd always compete in our age group because he was it was probably he was bigger than us. <laughs> he was a unit from like when he was really young. So was he, so he was one of those talents that oh, really yeah. fulfilled. He was always his like the one, you know. He was always one of the toughest guys in the in the event, and we we're always sort of going head to head. And then he eventually got even bigger again. By the time we were twenty, he would have been. I was twenty, he was eighteen, and that's kind of when he really shifted gears. Got a third in Sunset or second in Sunset to Parko and beat Andy yeah, in the right. final. It was like ten foot. Like he had a really good. I think it was two thousand six. Had a really good winter there. Got the rookie of the triple crown. So obviously surf brands are doing it a bit tough these days. Um, marketing budgets are yeah, sort of I non-existent. Just, yeah. Obviously the, the turn in the, uh, the the worm turning was when they when Billabong got rid of you, wasn't it? Yeah. Like that that's when marketing. Yeah, was that's over. when it all they lost just a bit of they lost a bit of uh, humour, they lost some pretty strange comments from time to time. But yeah, they had to make a choice then. It was kind of towards that financial crisis the, in two thousand and eight. They had myself, Geordie had Wade, they had Laurie, and all those guys had had great years. I'd had a pretty good year, but, you know, they had to pick between, I think it was me, Laurie, and Geordie. And obviously, you know, Geordie had just nearly qualified, and Laurie was, you know, charging and getting some really good stuff in big waves, so it was a pretty easy decision for him, I think. Woody, I want to know, mate, what's it like to, you know, you're not killing it financially, on a per, you know what I mean? Like, what's it like to lose your ticket to get onto those sort of tours? I think I just lost confidence probably more so than anything because you kind of like, if they're not going to back you, maybe maybe it's probably not worth trying. And the next few years, I got some good results, but I was pretty 
like on the QS once I got sponsored by Loss, which is an American company, and they just kind of it just kind of ebbed and flowed because I I probably probably should have believed in myself a little more because I'd get these good results and get on these good runs and then I'd and then it'd all go pear shaped for a few more and I'd never had any consistency. How hard is it, mate, to be actually not have the backing of one of those big brands? to chase the QS and get back on? Like about well, it's not really, like, it, it doesn't matter if it's a big brand or a little brand. If they back you and they're doing the right stuff with mm-hmm. you and you're staying, like, you don't necessarily have to be in the best unit right on the contest bank. If you're staying with, like, good people and, you know, it's a good... Good support. It's a good it. support. You know, that you just got to have people that are smart about it and put you in the right spots. So, like, if you're not with Quicksilver or Billabong or Hurley, or, it doesn't really matter. It's just whoever looks after you if they do the right stuff and you're not just, like... Here's five grand, go to South Africa and win that QS. So it's like, all right, we've got you a ticket. You're going to stay with these people that work for us in South Africa. These guys know the break. Listen to them. Let them help you while you're in the event. So, mate, do they, do they look after all your sort of travel expenses? Do they book your flights or whatever? Is that all done on your own? Like, Condo, you've managed surfers and that before. You'd know better than me. But w- yeah. what's it like yeah. on the surfing tour? Well, it's like, it depends. Like, that, again, comes down to the uh, management of the company. Like, they might either go, hey, say you're a kid promising kid one of the top kids you get signed for a contract for three years you might be on 50 grand the first year 70 grand the second year and 100 grand the third year and then if you make the x on the wqs and then you qualify it might go up but that 50 grand the first year of the contract you might get an extra 20 grand of travel so you've got 20 grand that you can use on air tickets accommodation car hire uh, transfer all that sort of stuff and then you get a wage so those years of marketing budgets sort of obviously being probably ridiculously inflated. It's all come back to earth in, uh, in recent years, probably out of the back end of the GFC and we're 12 years on now and surf industry struggling. Has the WSL got a future? It's so up in the air for me. I, I reckon they will because I think the, the, the two owners, I can't remember his name. Dirk Dirk, yeah. Dirk he's, him and his wife are really quite passionate. They've invested already, I think, three or four years in it already. I, I don't see them just walking away from it straight away. And there'll be always – there's so many people that love surfing. My, my thing is there's so many people surfing, there's so many people into surfing, and Fox in Australia have done such a good job getting it on, you know, on air. I, I just can't – it's such a good product when, it's, when the waves are good. It's like yeah. it's, if it's – you know, South Africa is a perfect example. J-Bay, when J-Bay's on, it starts at five in the Arvo. Yeah. And you go home and you can make dinner and watch the first few heats and then you settle in and, and you know, you can watch, it's, it's exciting to watch. But I just think it's going to – there's going to be a lot of empty noses of boards for sure. There won't be – I'd imagine Billabong will – they've got seven guys on the tour. I'd imagine they'll, they'll be three at the most. So I reckon by the next podcast that you're on – Dirk's going to ring in and he's going to say, Woody, you've got the job. Yeah. You are the commissioner of yeah. the WSL. Yeah. Okay, you've got 12 months. Get this bloody act, you know, really happening. What would you change? I would change uh, a few things around. Probably when they, they were going to do it well this year, they were starting way later. I'd start later, give them more of an off-season, let them get their injuries right, at least two and a half, maybe three months. And that brings it into the better time of the year for Australia, like April into May, is like the most consistent time for good quality waves and good wind, especially for snapper, definitely for bells. And definitely, Margis can be a bit unpredictable with the fronts because it's closer to getting the storms. But like make the comps closer together, less of a break through the year, bigger actual just one big break. People can get married, whatever it may be. You know what I mean? Have a bit more of an actual life because it seems like Hawaii finishes... And what would you do with the QS? I'd fix... That's the thing that's broken. I feel like the thing with the QS is... Q, 
kids come through and they're, unless you're really good, but I'd make it less events, make it in your area and you've got to make, I don't know, you've got to make the sort of top, say the Australasian QS tour, you've got to make the top 10 by September and then you go into a five event series with the top 10 from each province or each area and they compete. So you'd keep it a bit more domestic, would you? Yeah. And then it's affordable for everyone. Yeah. More right. people yeah. can like, so... So you're not relying on sponsorship well, I, last to get year to, yeah. I, The last year I fell off tour, well, fell off, I didn't do the QS. Was jumped off. Jumped off yeah. was, I had 10 grand on my credit card. Yeah, right. It was 10 yes. grand in the red. So yeah. I just wasn't enjoying it because I was always thinking about far out. I'm, you know, my credit card's nearly maxed out. So if you did it in Australia, you know, you'd have probably a lot more affordable because you probably stay at friends, you know, you, yeah. you can't, you're not travelling as much so you can spend more days at home working towards saving money for those events. And So if we go back to uh, how you've, reinvented yourself to pay down that credit card debt yeah. of 10 grand <laughs> yeah. um you've obviously moved on uh you've you've got a successful consistent coaching business yeah uh, you spent a lot of time in the shaping bay talk us through the mix of obviously you've still got the passion for surfing because you surf a lot yeah and you still surf ridiculously well talk us through that transition it was weird it was like it was funny f- when I stopped because you it's it, I'm sure everyone that stops competing it's kind of your identity it's like oh you're getting ready for this next event or oh, you're going to do these events or whatever it may be so you're always working towards something and then you get off and you're just kind of sitting around and they're like oh so what are you doing now and then you don't even really know so you never have an answer for anyone and when you're in a small town like Lennox it, it's all about competing and surfing and you know and I my best mate had just made it on tour for the first couple of years and I was going to stop it was kind of hard to figure that out, like just for myself. But then I, some of the parents approached and they're like, oh, we don't, there's no one really coaching any of the, the young kids. We'd like you to maybe think about getting your coaching ticket. I went and did that for a couple of days. I was kind of, I didn't really want to do it because I kind of had the shits with everything. I didn't really want to get back into it. And I did it just because, you know, it was, it was fun to do it with the kids and it was some work and some money and stuff like that. And it ended up really enjoying it and Got right into it. And the shaping side of stuff, I was already doing. I was already doing it for work anyway, between events. So did the passion for shaping come about by wanting to shape yourself better boards? Yeah, or just, just to keep experiment it. Or? Yeah, just, or just to keep it interesting. Like, you get so... When you're just, like, surfing to do competitions, you're trying to get better. You're trying to work on your surfing. And it can get... You can become really stale. And it's, you're trying to always surf really well every surf. And it's just so hard to do that. So are you riding your own boards now? Yeah, I am now, yeah. So they must be all right. They're <laughs> they're all right. I still get the shits with them. It's it, But it keeps it fun. It, it's, it keeps it refreshing. You know, you're always trying to tweak a board here and there and, and get boards right for summer when the waves are bad or winter when the waves are good. And so, who, I mean, how did you, like, that whole shaping process, I can imagine, especially learning from scratch, like hand shaping, you know, um, I know you've done time on the machine at Emory and all the rest of it, but how did you get to, you get yourself or your shaping to, an, to, to a level that you were confident that these boards are actually pretty good? Like Just it, through working with Emery, like Al was a huge part in... Was he? Yeah, he, he, you know, he gave me, he was so good because I was living with him at the time and I had, I had no, I was sort of ebbing and flowing between scaffolding and labouring between doing events. So I was just trying to work as much as I could when I'd come home to get a bit of money together. And then he was just starting to open his factory where he is now out in Byron. He just bought a shaping machine and he needed all his walls painted. I went and painted for a week or so. And then he's like, why don't you just sort of, why don't I just teach you how to use the machine? It's pretty easy. It's just off a computer and then I can still shape and it gives me time to do other stuff around the factory. 
Woody, mate, I'm fascinated with all this. But the other thing, I, I, we were talking the other day about, um, I suppose the biggest thing with coronavirus has been the fact that we haven't been able to um, talk about sport the way we usually do. And we were yarning the other day and, um, you know, everyone's named their top manly team, their Broncos team, their Cronulla. You know, everyone's naming their best teams of all time. And I was thinking with you, we were yarning the other day, what's your best Australian surf tag team. We're not going to surf in Newcastle. We're going to take it to Pipeline. Okay, so if it's tag team, he's got five surfers. Yeah. One's got to be female. Do they have to be Australian? Hell no. Let's okay. go worldwide. Right, Woody. Let's Number go global. One. Who's going to who's going to lead us out? Andy Irons. Why? He's the he's the man. He's the he'd be the first to go. He's just a good one to start. He'll start. He'll start aggressive. He'll. Is he your favourite favourite surfer? Yeah, he is my favourite surfer. Or he's one of. I've got I've got a few, but he's. Right up there for sure. He's so, the one I think about the most when I'm surfing. Yeah, right. On and you know and how I should be surfing or how I, you know to approach surfing. I don't at all surf like him or but it, you know just the way he approached it is kind of you're, you're always thinking about that for sure. He's he was the amazing, the best, and amazing at pot. Yeah, I mean he's won four pipe masters. Was he amazing I, when he was young at pot? Yeah, he won the he won when he was seventeen. Yeah right. He won the which the Vulcan the yeah. Vulcan five star, which is kind of like the QS, the small rated pipe event. He won that when he was seven. So the one Solly Bailey won. Yeah, yeah same okay. one as that. Yeah. So number two. Number two would be Mick. I'd have Mick just because he's yeah he's one of my all time favourites. That's Fanning. Yeah, Mick Fanning, and uh, I've watched him in a heap of tags. I've surfed against him in tags, and yeah, he's he's definitely going to be number two. Okay, female. Female Steph. She's again. I've surfed against her and surfed. I think Barnsley wanted you to go lane. <laughs> oh, I didn't want him to go lane. I just thought didn't, she, she paved really the way didn't for she female surfers. Yeah, she did. Oh, she paved it. But then Steph oh, Gilmore just basically so built like a road him. through and that pavement. she surfs so much like Steph, doesn't she? <laughs> well, Steph's good at pipe. I've watched Steph at pipe in person in a like a sort of, I guess it was like a girl's demo heat or an expression session and she killed it. She had a couple of nines out there at backdoor and she's a really good barrel rider. So. That was uh, with Tyler and Chris and Coco. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, she put on a clinic, so I'd go Steph for sure. Number four. Number four would be Parker. And again, he's in my top four. He's my one of my all-time favourites, and he's a good tag surfer and obviously a pretty good surfer as well, out pipe. He's got a pipe masters. I think he's had about three or four other finals, and he's won the Triple Crown, which is, you know, for surfing your best overall performance in Hawaii. So you're going to go to number five, but I reckon you're probably going to go like the best heat surfer that we've seen out of this area, which would have to be Melly. <laughs> Unfortunately, Melo oh, no. did, <laughs> did have a quarterfinals his last time he surfed in pipe. He did have a great show, the, and he needed to make the semis to, to re-qualify, and he nearly got there. He, he had it just a bit unlucky against, I think, Mason in the quarters, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go I'm gonna have to go John John as number five. He'll be, he'd be, he goes wow. okay out there. But I, what I'd do is I'd shift him around into four, so he's a power surfer. And he's yet to win a CT out there, but he's won five of those Vulcan comps. So, Woody, first-time contributor on the Ball and All uh, inaugural podcast. Um, the last 10 or 15 minutes, we go to Barnsley's ball bag. So yeah. he, has, he has a subject we're gonna that, talk we're gonna, yeah, that we're going to run with. So, Barnsley, today, what is today's subject? Seeing as coronavirus has given us nothing to debate on the field in terms of sporting content, I've got to get creative. And I was out on the mower the other day doing a bit of grass whispering, and I got to thinking, if we could have the best dinner party, the sports dinner party of all time out here in the shed, who would you invite and why? How many spots? Now, I'm going to just clarify the rules, Condo. The rules are they could be a male or female, 
They can be dead or alive. Sports. But they've just got to be related to sports. Now, you can draw a long bow here. This is how we want to get our viewers involved. If you've got someone you want at the table, we're going to give you a chance to get on the show and give you an opportunity if you come up with a decent person so they to can, bring them uh, on the show. they can jump on the ball and all Instagram, send us a direct message with who they think. Yep. We'll As someone who's never been on any form of social media, this is going to be a really new sort of uh, lifelong, well, I suppose life lesson for me and how to navigate this thing but Condo, you seem to be all over it and um yeah get on instagram fire us up who should be invited to our dinner party and why who would you invite to your greatest sports dinner party of all time two people uh i've been thinking about it i've got 10 mm. but i'm gonna get it to two i'm definitely gonna have to go michael jordan he'd be my first guy MJ. just because i just want to hear all the stories i want to hear about mm. the battles the rivalries with you know carl malone and the utah jazz all those early rivalries with the Pistons when they couldn't get over the line, playing against Magic and the Lakers. I'd love to have MJ, and I think I'd have I think I'd have Conor McGregor. I'd have to. Conor I'd, McGregor, yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that. That's a great choice. Yeah. Jeez, it's going to be a fiery night. I know, and oh. he's just such a good storyteller. Fiery. And I think oh. I think he would be. Do we a, have to serve his piss because I reckon you know. Be oh, I've had it on every damn boxing thing. I, I know. I've like. had it, and it's pretty bad. Eh? Is it? It's yeah, average. it's tough to drink. So yeah. Woody, so Woody, you're sitting at the table. And if McGregor gets a start, we're going to sit you next to McGregor. Yeah. And he sits down. What's the first question you're going to say to McGregor? I'm going to be like, can you beat Khabib? Can you beat Khabib? <laughs> That's the first question. Because you got towed up. Yeah, right. And then I'm going to, and he's going to say, oh, my preparation was not good. I was <laughs> not focused. I was on the, I was drinking piss two days after training, you know. Now, I'd, I'd be, I'd love to hear him. And I think he would be a great guest for your, whoever you guys bring at getting all the conversations going because he seems like a, a good guy to have a few drinks with and have a good feed with. So, And, of course, Jordan. I reckon Jordan would... We'd probably have to smoke his cigars. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Whatever, if, as long as he gets talking and tells some good stories. Condo, why don't you go one and I'll go one and we'll mix it up a bit. Well, first one, I'm, I'm going to stay domestic and obviously being a mad sports lover, um, I can't go past Wayne Bennett. Ah. Uh. But, but no, no, no. But I reckon by the time we have the dinner, so he's 70 now, it'll probably be maybe 12 months, maybe two years. He's probably, I don't know, he'll probably still be coaching. But I reckon by that stage, he might be drinking. So you I reckon re he's going to get well, on the I drink Well, I don't know. I reckon we, maybe with Woody and a few others, we might be able to get a few Connor would give him nah. some whiskey. Yeah. Nah, he, depend, it, to, be, to, to be fair, he is a, he's a pretty funny, well, pretty he, funny guy. Like mate. you think about it, he's, he's, been, he's won seven premierships. Should have won eight. Yeah, runner-up yeah. in 15 to the Cowboys. He's played for Australia. He's coached State of Origin. He's coached Australia. He's coached All-Stars. He's coached England. We could sit here and we'd have 80,000 questions for him. I only got to obviously spend two years at the Bronx and he didn't speak to me my first year because I'd basically stuffed off every training drill he had. So he basically just shouted at me. What, <laughs> what did he say to you after the fooey fooey? I don't remember anything of that night, Condo. But um, <laughs> Fooey got still, eight weeks. <laughs> I was still sleeping. Um <laughs> But this is one thing I love. I found fascinating about Wayne. In whole 17 years of footy, he's the only coach I know who sat on the back seat of the bus. I don't know why. I'm not sure whether it was... Um, I genuinely think he loved the guys up the back of the bus who were the... Larrikins. What are they called? The larrikins. Just the, the guys who... Yeah, the guys who he couldn't be, essentially. You know what I mean? Like those sort yeah. of blokes, like the Berrigans, the Talluses, the, those it, sort of the big dogs of the team, Wendells. His press conferences are like Seinfeld, Seinfeld episodes. <laughs> Especially when they get him rolled up, like you can sit there and just replay, replay, because they just make you laugh when he gets stuck in, and he just goes silent, 
and journalists just don't know how to handle it. You go back and watch on YouTube his best press conferences over the last 25 years, They're, they are hilarious. Barnsley. Thinking about this, I can't, I can't go past Ali. I just and I, I thought of him. Yeah, I thought for sure he'd be, he'd be so good. The reasons why I just think that he lived in a time in history where there's never been so much. It's never been so tumultuous. Would we would we have him sitting next to Connor? Yeah, oh. it'd be epic. <laughs> oh. Imagine the banter. Imagine between that. Them. Ali's got the bigger presence, so mate. Oh hell yeah! The guy just yeah. I don't know, like, and he had the like he paved the way for all those guys <laughs> to for smack talk. He basically paved the way for WWE wrestling. He. You know, not just that, he spent, he missed three or four years of his prime due to the Vietnam War. He lost his, t- not so much, he didn't, you know, like Mayweather's won 50 and 0, you know what I mean? Like, and you, you got to put him up there with the greatest, no doubt about it. But what I love about Ali is he lost his title a few times and he came back and he beat Foreman in the Rumble in the Jungle where he went 15 rounds and for that, 12 of them he got his head crazy. punched in. Yeah, that was crazy. Mate, like... Yeah. There's no other athlete I think that's transcended not just sport, but has got the I don't know. It's just transcended. I just on a, he's on a different stratosphere in my opinion than to any other athlete. Uh, I don't think there's a greater athlete. There's no way. Like because he was oh, in a time. Oh, there's there's some that are on par. I think. 1965 he yeah, started all the way to 1975. That I think 1975 was Rumble and Jungle or 77. Yeah. Ali blazed the past, mate. So he's my man for the first man yeah. at the dinner. Well, Connor, I reckon going number two. Well, I reckon if you got. If you got MJ and you got Muhammad, I was tossing up between my second, which is close to my third. But I think after now knowing that MJ is going to get a seat and then sitting down last week and I hadn't watched a replay of the Masters until last week and, and I wanted to watch a replay just to confirm how good Tiger Woods is. And I think last weekend, 12 months ago's performance, if you just put aside the fact he's won 82 times on the PGA, he's won 43 times in Europe, he's done everything. He's sort of at the level of Muhammad and MJ and, like, ridiculous. Like, what he did, keep in mind, you know, I mean, I know Muhammad came back from being belted and Tiger had three years where he didn't play golf. And then he got his, well, got himself to a certain level after a couple of false starts. And then that back nine, he had one opportunity on 12 when, you know, Molinari put in the drink and they were just sort of fumbling around the edges there. And then he just sensed the opportunity going down 13, 30, 16. And then that drive he hit down 17. Just go back on YouTube and have a look at the crowd. It's about 75 deep and he's just absolutely smashed it down the middle and he's hit the best seven iron and if you've been to augusta that 17th green is ridiculous to get close on a sunday he's put it within a meter sinks it and then he's two shot lead walking down 18 and you could just see him he's like grinning like a big cat standing on 18 just going i've done it i remember when he when he won 97 i was probably like 11 i think in 97 and i remember him having he wore the red jumper and he yeah. smashed him. It was he won by about ten or eleven shots, I think. The biggest winning winning margin. Yeah, like he smashed. It. Anyway, I remember getting my golf clubs. I'd I'd been playing cadets golf in Ballina at the time. At every Saturday morning, I and remember. You can play, Woody. I remember just getting him out and just chipping around in the yard, just because I was that amped that he'd won. And it was you know someone young had won. He was only about what twenty or twenty two or something like that at the time. He was pretty young. It definitely amped me to play golf. I tell you, it'd be at the table. It'd be great. If we had MJ and Tiger opposite each other, maybe you'd throw Muhammad in there as well. But I mean, mentally tough athletes, 
like, you know, the how, how they got so focused, mm. you know, through that period of Chicago Bulls, you know, and what Tiger's done. Like, you know, my next at, my next person, and I, it's a toss-up. And I kind of want to go around the table here to, I sort of want to involve you two in it. I've got two people. I've got Lance Armstrong. The reason why I brought Lance is because, mate, he was my hero. I read all about the bike and I was like, yeah. man, this guy Plus is same. the I freaking read, yeah. king. I, I, yeah, I love Lance and I lo- I've read that book and, I, oh. and how he came back from cancer and you'd look at his pictures that he'd have the, in the middle of the book. So amped. And mate, I remember so watching amped. it. I even, you watch it, you're like, oh, come on. And he yeah. was just riding up a hill. I don't think I've ever watched it again, you know, since it all, he stopped and it all went pear-shaped, except for the year maybe Cadell did well. I think it was yeah. 2011 or 12 or something like that. But I've got to admit, I still love him, but I read Tyler Hamilton's book who was, Tyler was one of the guys who yeah. was part of his team. And took the four. And took the four. For yeah. And and what he did to Tyler, what he did to Greg LeMond, yeah. what he did to a ton, like Lance Armstrong, if you read a lot of those articles, you just think, look, mate, he's the definition of a bully. Yeah, and I hated that about him, but I just admired his. You know, I was just about to say intestinal fortitude there, <laughs> but that's a bit of a low blow. And um, but mate, he's just willing to come back from what he came back from. I don't think you. And you look at his stats on terms of what he produced. Um, you know, just in the testing realms, I don't think there's been a greater cyclist in terms of what he. Yeah, could do with his own heart and the, what he transforms. I think. The, I think the thing that's funny, like obviously it sucks that he was cheating and stuff, but. They didn't even put winners there because down to 23, I think, in each year from 99 to 2005 or whenever he stopped winning, they were all they all tested positive to 25 in every year. Really? It was 18 yeah. or 25 or something. Oh, like. That was rife, mate. Oh, like they rife. pretty much were all doing it. So it didn't like it. To me, it doesn't seem like it really it should matter because the guys that were close were doing the same stuff. Here's my last one. I want to throw this out there. My actual man I really want to invite is Nelson Mandela. Now, he didn't play sport. Oh, he had a lot to do with but it. But he I had think. a hell of a yeah. lot to he'd do be, with South Africa. so good to listen to. I mean, to. Yeah, oh. you, you don't lose sight of that. Uh, the captain. 95 yeah. World Cup where he walks out yeah. in the jersey. Yeah. And, it, and you transfer. But, but even after they won in the middle of the field. Yeah. That photo, it just sticks. Mate, it's so inspiring. It gives me goosebumps yeah, right now. It like, it changed. It put rugby on the map because that was the first. Obviously, that was the last year of amateurism. and went professional after that. But when he walked out into that stadium at Ellis Park, it's the first time a lot of countries actually toured have South Africa again. I have. It, have you won there? Yeah, I have, but I never played the Springboks there. Right. I played them at every other venue bar there. But it's a um, the atmosphere is phenomenal. Don't worry, there hasn't been a thing done to it since the day Nelson walked down there. It's an absolute. It is a Where scary is this place. Where's this in Joburg? Yeah, Joburg. Every game has to kick off there at one or two o'clock because you would not go downtown oh, there at night time, mate. It yeah, is right. a. Um, it's a scary place. Yeah, but yeah, just what Nelson went through, mate. Like twenty-seven years in prison. And I listen to Matty Johns. Have you listened to that one where he talks to Singo about what he did to cope with 27 yeah. years in prison? About Boxing. how, yeah, and that's probably why I've tied Ali in with Nelson because I would like those two to be at a table together. And for Nelson to get to ask him about, like, Nelson looked up to Ali as a hero. And I'm sure if Ali later on in life was to meet Nelson and go far out, like, you're my hero too, I'd love to hear the conversation between those pair. I think I, I think with those those types of athletes, like I, I haven't read a lot up on uh, on MJ. Um, I know there's a lot of stuff starting to come out now on Tiger as he's relaxed a little bit, and you know what he thinks has made him successful. And you know, I think uh, Muhammad, you know, there's, there, there probably would have been a lot of that single-mindedness of you know why they were great. But Tiger, Tiger during his career had, I, I reckon he had one thing that he's leaked out in the last couple of years when Steve Williams was his caddy. They had a 10 metre rule, and whenever he hit what he 
regarded as a poor shot. Steve Williams used to walk in front of him and he'd, he'd step out 10 metres and then he'd just look at him and just go, cut. And they could not talk about the shot after the 10 metres. Wow, so they yeah. had that just ability yeah. to block it yeah. out. Yeah, well, and, and, he, and I've heard Tiger talk about it and he talks about the fact of, you know, not looking in the rear vision mirror and, and just looking forward and that's gone. Can't do anything about it. And I th- I, I'd imagine MJ at the, you know, at the free throw line. And Yeah, I, but to me, Tiger, probably a little bit different because MJ is playing in a team. He's going up and down a court and he, he doesn't have a lot of time to really think about Correct, yeah. what's happening. He can, I mean, he's so good and he's probably so far ahead in his head with the game. He knows where he ha- what the team has to do and what he has to do coming down, you know, the last five minutes in the fourth quarter. But Tiger plays a shot. 20,000 people down the side of the Masters mm. fairway. He's got to think about where he's going to land this. And, you know, he might not be able to read the wind, you know, especially that last one he won because he hasn't won for 10 years or whatever it was. Like, there's so years. much more probably for himself that he's putting on himself, I reckon, than anyone because he's got way more time to think about it. Well, I reckon we should wrap it up on a happy note, Barnsley. His quote after he won last, last week, 12 months ago, was that he was sick and tired of his kids referring to him as one of the ES games because he's on the, on the front of it, but they'd never seen him actually win. So I think Charlie's like eight or nine. His, uh, his daughter's like 13 or 14. He hadn't won for 11 years. So when he won, I think one of the first things he said to Charlie, see, I'm actually not too bad at this game. Well, I reckon Kondo, we'll leave it on that. Woody, mate, thanks very much for coming. Appreciate yeah, th- it. Yeah, th- thanks for calling me. That's a wrap. Thank you, Woody. See you guys, Thank you, Eric. 